0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, April 20th, we're studying 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. Christ's suffering in the flesh equips us to live, not in the passions of our flesh, as the Gentiles do, but as Christians who carry our cross and follow the Savior. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks, good to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk context. We're beginning chapter 4 of 1 Peter today. What do we need to know about the letter and the preceding chapters that help us into these verses?
1: So the letter itself. Just a reminder that uh, Peter is encouraging the the presbyters in in Asia Asia Minor uh, to look after the congregations that they're in charge of, and uh, to suffer in patience and to nurture in the new life that God gives. And so uh, these Gentile congregations are going to have to endure a lot of suffering. And so uh, the patience that he is is asking them to to uh, have is is really needed because of the persecution that they're going to end up having to endure so that's kind of the overall uh, context of uh, first peter but then you have the immediate context is that there's kind of a resuming of the thought of christ's suffering in the flesh so at first what saint paul or saint peter says is that uh, christ's suffering in the flesh uh, is a gift so in chapter three verse 18 we hear that uh, we hear about the vicarious satisfaction the gospel for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to god being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit so now uh, peter is going to present Christ's suffering in the flesh in a different way Uh, at that point it it was all about the gospel the vicarious satisfaction but now uh, he's going to present it as an example to the suffering Christians in Asia Minor to teach them how to uh, suffer uh, as Christians. And uh, there's something kind of neat as we read through the text. You, you kind of notice that he he brings back up that that uh, substitutionary atonement that that Christ has done for us, so that we can actually then uh, understand how we look at Christ as an example, not to the exclusion of what Christ has done for us, uh, but always keeping that in mind.
0: With those two, Christ as Savior and Christ as example, Peter does a spectacular job of holding those two together, where it seems sometimes in the church we're prone to overemphasize one or 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 forget about one. Maybe that's the way we we preach one to the exclusion of the other. What what's the danger of of missing one or the other when it comes to Christ as savior and Christ as example?
1: Yeah, when you when you miss Christ as uh, savior, you you end up becoming a, a one who is either going to fall into the ditch of legalism, where you think that you're being. Uh, just like Jesus and kind of a what would Jesus do and, and, and forgetting what Jesus has done for you. Um, so you can become very uh, legalistic, very proud, or you could despair thinking I'm not good enough. I'm not like Jesus. I'm not suffering like he is. And, and you can end up thinking, uh, you know, there's there's no hope for you. And so those are the two ditches. Uh, if you if you're not thinking about Jesus as Savior, um, and only as example, but if you think of Jesus only as as savior and don't think about the example, you're missing out on uh, how God teaches us. Uh, I mean, there's no better way of, of of understanding how we are to live as Christians than to look at Christ. We are we are Christians, Christians, and so we should see that what Christ has done, He's left us an example uh, for not only how to live. You know the, the the aspect of good works but as we're going to see especially here uh the example of suffering and that's going to continue on into the next uh uh, episode too so i mean this is an important uh, thing for us to see that yeah you don't want to to get rid of one or the other and uh by doing either of those things you can end up uh falling into pride or despair either way.
0: I really appreciate the way you emphasize the way Peter puts it. When we think of Christ's example, the example that he continues to put before us is the suffering of Christ. It's not necessarily what's the the good work that I should do according to the Ten Commandments. Not that the the Ten Commandments are certainly related to this, of course, but it is, you know, as I live in relation to my neighbor, as I live as a Christian in the midst of Gentiles, which is going to be in our view today, it's how do I live as a, as a Christian? It's, it is suffering, which we've, we've remarked on this several times in this series, but it, it is a rather foreign way for us to think it seems in our context today, which is to our loss that, that we've, we've forgotten that to be a Christian in this world is to suffer. And and I think in that sense, peter this epistle particularly really equips us to live as christians in our time and place
1: absolutely yeah and it's such a it's such a needed thing if you know that god wants you to suffer that he actually wants you to suffer and that he is expecting you to suffer uh it actually is is a, a comfort as we'll see as we keep on going through here knowing that he is giving us christ as our example um not, not again to exclude as our savior, but it is a strange thing that we find such comfort even in this, because uh, we are suffering, and there's no getting around that. And so, to put it within the context that Saint Peter does, and to give us that encouragement, uh, is a uh, it's a wonderful thing. And and we need to to stop and ask ourselves whether sometimes we get caught up in these internal arguments. Uh, in, in theological arguments where we, 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 we kind of miss the point of the text because we want to come to the text with our own arguments rather than with what the text wants to give to us. Mm.
0: So let's see what the text has to give to us today. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. That's our text for today, First Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. Pastor Preuss, the apostle begins, Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, he's calling back to what he's just said in that very creedal way about what Christ has done for our salvation, and then he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That sounds like a, a bit of military language there.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's a, it's a reminder, you know, when you think about this whole armor of God, it, it, it makes you think of St. Paul's probably more well-known um, just because of the way we've, I don't know, in the Christian church kind of uh, latched on to Ephesians chapter six and, and uh, having the helmet of salvation and, and, and all the other armor. So, uh, It is a military kind of a thing because we are the church militant. We are at war. Uh, The battle is done. We know it's won through what Christ has done through his death and resurrection. But now we uh, have to have this battle between uh, us and and the spiritual forces of evil, the devil and his demons. And so we need to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ has. And we are clothed with Christ. Uh, We know that from St. Paul's. Letter to the Galatians and third chapter in baptism, we're clothed with Christ, and uh, to get back into Peter, Peter just mentioned baptism in chapter three that we have a good conscience before God, and you know he mentions the the uh, the flood and and how that applies to baptism, and that we then are as the baptized Christians, we are arming ourselves. With Christ's mind, and I, you know, I think of Philippians 2 when I think of that because of the the humility that Christ has, the obedience to the Father he has in order to win our salvation. But here, St. Saint, Saint Peter's using this, it's the same imagery, but he's using it in order to teach us that Christ's mind is, it's a way of thinking uh, when it comes to suffering in the flesh, and so, rather than Paul and Philippians talking about the, the kind of the humbling of uh, and, and obedience, uh, here we're going to hear about the suffering in the flesh. And and there's an ac- accenting that of the in the flesh, too. I mean, he is God's son in the flesh who suffered for us. He knows what it is to be in the flesh and to suffer. And, and he's going to show us with his mind and his way of thinking uh, how we as baptized Christians Uh, will take up our cross and follow Jesus, uh, suffering in the flesh ourselves in the midst of a world that is hostile to our Lord and hostile to us, his body, the church, right? We're baptized to be the body of Christ. And, you know, Jesus had said that to them. They "They hated me. They're going to hate you. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Disciples not above his master and so forth. So, uh, it is it is a really a a way of uh, helping us understand yet another way of looking at this arming ourselves, um, and and really geared more towards suffering. So we derive strength for our suffering, as our minds are armed with Christ's suffering.
0: It's it's it sounds like a very Linton text in the midst of the the season of Easter that we're here in right now. But I think you know I've 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 said this before that I've I find a lot of comfort in our Lutheran or sorry in our lenten hymns someone once corrected me so you mean Lutheran hymns no actually i mean lenten hymns that there yeah, there yeah. is a there is a great comfort in meditating upon the sufferings of christ now of course there there's tons of great comfort and joy in the easter hymns that we're singing right now but but man i mean i really love the way those lenten hymns put it so often the one that comes right to mind right now is is christ the life of all the living and the great contrast that is there of of the things that Christ suffered to give me all of these, these wonderful gifts. And I mean, you could just go through any of the Lenten hymns and it seems like Peter's got a similar thing in mind here that there is a great benefit to us as Christians of meditating on Christ, the suffering servant.
1: Yeah, no, there, there really is. And you can, you can go to uh, the Lenten hymns. You can also go to, I think of let us uh, ever walk with Mm, Jesus. And the second stanza says, let us suffer here with Jesus and with patience, bear our cross. And it's it's a reminder that we are still, even as we have our Easter joy, we are in the midst of death and suffering. And we always are. I, I had a funeral on, on Friday and here I am, you know, celebrating the resurrection. And I'm saying in the midst <laughs> uh, of life, we're in death, right? And it's, it's true. And so we while we certainly are in the Easter season, it's a joyful season, and don't don't lose out on the the, the alleluias and and the great joy of of the physical resurrection of our Lord and and your own future resurrection. Uh, but at the same time, we are in this world, and so uh, we've got a lot of uh, suffering, and we we want to find strength in the midst of our sufferings. This is what Saint Peter is teaching us to do here. Hmm.
0: So he continues, uh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Then he says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh. Has ceased from sin. Now, what what does that mean? That one who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin.
1: Yeah, I mean, it might make some people cringe a little bit, thinking, "Well, I I haven't ceased from sin." Right. Um, So this this gets us to you know we need to start defining our terms, and the first term I think we want to look at is the term flesh. Uh, it, It doesn't just mean you know flesh and blood and the bones you know and everything, but Luther says it's the whole man through and through as he lives here in this life. And he says, therefore, one must understand this to mean that man together with his reason and will internally and externally together with body and soul is called flesh because with all his powers externally and internally, he sees only that which is carnal and which benefits the flesh. So in other words, the flesh does not think that suffering is good nor does the flesh want to suffer, right? And so Christ, who is perfect, suffered in the flesh and had no sin at all. He he reasoned with his mind that suffering would lead to eternal good. So kind of like the, the joy that was set before him endured the cross kind of a thing. And he so gladly suffered. Uh, and I go back to our Lenten hymns right there, yeah. all this, I gladly suffer. Uh, and so... He, the the flesh in in Jesus is not a sinful flesh, but it is flesh. It, he is God's son who gladly goes forth. Yes, father. Yes, most willingly. This, you know, in, in the, the German, it, it began uh, the, the gladly, the willingly. He really wants to do this because he knows that it pleases the father and that it will benefit us. And so we... Uh, It's different uh, in the sense that we'll never perfectly cease from sin in this life. So sin here, to make it more specific and not just the general term sin, sin is thinking that suffering is bad and wanting not to suffer. So willing not to suffer, not gladly suffering. But when we, you know, through faith in Christ, as, as chapter three has so beautifully shown us Christ as our Savior, we're declared righteous in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who guides us so that we subdue the flesh and then we suffer. Now, the flesh is not going to willingly go. He's going to come kicking and screaming and bitten bridle, but the spirit is willing. And so, insofar as this is the case, we are suffering in the flesh and cease from sin, right? And we know everything's still stained with sin, but this is this is the context that we cease from sin in the sense that when we will willingly suffer according to our new man, then then we we have this ceasing from sin in a sense. Uh, so, you know, Luther says that he says this: we never become perfectly pure while we are living on earth, and everyone still finds evil lust in his body. To be sure, faith begins to slay sin and to bestow heaven. But it has not yet become perfect and really strong. That, that beginning to slay sin, I find this really interesting because, you know, you read through the Lutheran confessions and there's a lot of talk of the beginning, mm-hmm. the beginning. But, but it's never the completion here in this life. Uh, the goal, the completion is, is only in the life to come. And so we will constantly be in need of slaying our old Adam, drowning our old Adam and then rising again. Because our old Adam really doesn't want to suffer. And you'll hear people say this, all suffering equals bad, yeah. right? Uh, and, and they don't want to ever do it. Well, no, that can't possibly be good. I mean, even even take something like sports, you know, that's not true. I mean, you suffer in order to win a game or to win a race. Um, and, you know, St. Paul uses that imagery. And so we have to subdue our body, our, our, our desires, and suffer in many different ways. Uh, and, and that will actually end up producing a, a better better life for us, even though we might not think it at first. Um, again, Luther says the Holy Cross is a good means with which to subdue sin, and so God will actually put trials upon us. This cross that God gives us, uh, you know, each of us has to, to bear the cross as Christians, and we have different crosses that are put upon us. Um, these are God's own doing. God's own choosing in order to subdue that flesh. And in so far as that is what's happening, you know, that's how we would look at that ceasing from sin, not an entire kind of a thing.
0: Back in chapter one, you know, Peter started off by talking about the various trials that are are grieving these Christians who are living there in Asia Minor. And, And we've talked at various points in this about how, and you mentioned it here, how God will put the cross upon us. He will Allow these sufferings or send these sufferings in order to test our faith, you know, to refine it, as he uses there in chapter one, and and here in this text, and I know we've said this other points too. We're also talking about our own subduing of the flesh or mortifying the flesh, is sometimes how we'll we'll say it. We've also said, you know, we shouldn't go seeking our own crosses. We don't want to to suffer for suffering's sake and yet we also don't run away from it we go into it willingly and gladly even as our lord did how do we how do we balance those two things so that we receive what god says but also subdue our flesh ourselves without like seeking after some sort of man-made cross i've kind of talked in a bit of circles hopefully that made sense
1: yeah and you know it's 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 a both and they relate uh and you know, I, I, you, I think you do, too. You, you, re, you remember these these hymns, and one of the hymns I, I learned as a boy, I'm, I'm Norwegian descent, so we like our, our Norwegian <laughs> or, or Scandinavian hymns, but I walk in danger all the way is one I learned as a, as a child, and I pass through trials all the way with sin and ills contending. In patience, I must bear each day the cross of God's own sending. When, it, when in adversity, I know not where to flee. When storms of woe, my soul dismay. I pass through trials all the way. And there, there is a reminder in scripture, and then in our our hymnody that's based on scripture, that God does send specific crosses, uh, and we have much adversity. And when we don't know where to flee, we end up fleeing to. To, to Christ as, as the word is presented before us. And he really is fleeing to us and, and showing himself and uh, his wounds as we just heard about on, on Sunday um, after Easter uh, about uh, him showing his wounds to his disciples. We, we, we flee to him and, and we find our, our loving God in the midst of all of our trials. And that's what our trials are are meant to do when God gives them to us is to, to bring us back to Christ. Now, when you know that as a Christian and you, you know that you've got temptations towards certain things, you also, you know, you have reminded of Luther when he says he likes that early church father who said, you can't keep the birds from flying around your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. And, and that we try to keep those, we, 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 we say, okay, birds, you can't make a nest in my hair. You, you sin, you can't, you can't make your, your, uh, me, your, your slave anymore. I'm going back to Christ, and so we then, learning from the the trials that God will put us through and drive us back to Him. We we then willingly, as the new man, uh, run to the law and gospel, uh, run to church to, to receive the the grace of God in Christ Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. To 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 die as the old Adam and rise as the new man, remembering our baptism every day and so forth. So they yeah they relate. And, and each of them uh, is a way for us to kind of understand that, that God works through this killing in order to make alive, through, through suffering in order to bring about joy and peace uh, in our consciences and in our, our lives, and finally on the, res- the day of the resurrection forever.
0: Peter continues in verse two, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. What is Peter saying in verse two?
1: Well, until we get to heaven, we must live in the sinful flesh. There's no getting away around that. And so the sinful flesh wants to do what it wants to do and what the world wants to do. Those are the human passions that St. Peter's talking about. Um, but when we are armed with the same way of thinking as Christ, we seek the good and gracious will of God while suffering. So remember uh, St. Paul said in Galatians 2, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's from this faith in Christ, uh, as, as you know, St. Peter just talked about, uh, that we do not delight in the human passions, but in God's word and will. Ah, uh, we know it's a good and gracious word and will. And so we we flee to to him and how would he have me live? And so the only way to live for the will of God uh, is to then suffer in the flesh, to mortify this the sin in the flesh so that we can live by faith. You're not going to live by faith if you are just constantly going back to your sinful flesh and saying, i'm I want that. Now, mortifying the sinful flesh and doing God's will is not meriting salvation. That's already been accomplished. Right? We we don't ever serve God We don't ever serve Christ except for when we are living by faith in him as the one who has already saved us, uh, as the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love in John 13 where he says, just as I have loved you, so you love one another. So he pretty much says you can't go love one another until you understand and while you understand that i love you and i serve you so this is this is to honor god and serve our neighbor to do god's will not not to merit our salvation and when it comes to to that doing the will of god in this wicked world and in this sinful flesh well you're going to end up having suffering and god will put that suffering uh, into our lives Uh, he'll, he'll, you know, the two things you mentioned before, where it's not just him putting a cross on us, but also us mortifying the sinful, uh, desires. That's the father cutting off the dead branches to use the words of, of Jesus in in St. John's gospel, uh, chapter 15, or, or to chastise us as his children, to use the words of the, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 12, right? So, so that we would bear fruit, so that we would do the good and gracious uh, will of God that we know um, is for us to believe in him uh, and then also to to serve our neighbor.
0: He continues in verse three, and we just got a couple minutes to get started with this verse, Pastor Price, It says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Let's just take that phrase on this side of the break. The time that is past, what's he talking about?
1: Well, the time that is past is the time that they have lived and that they spent uh, with their sins. So the sins of our past. Uh, that correspond to what the heathen want to do. These, these are enough. It suffices. It's we don't need to add to our past sins with willful future sins, oh. and and that's what he's trying to to let them understand is that there there are going to be uh, a lot of ideas in people's heads. You know, Saint Paul talks about this too, where shall we sin that grace may abound. You know, by no means, and and this is kind of Saint Peter's way of saying, "Listen, the sins of our past—they're the same thing of what the heathen were doing. Um, We don't—we don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Those are enough. Let's let's uh, seek to uh, do what God uh, God's will is." and and cling to christ and and learn from his suffering
0: and we will keep digging into that here on sharper iron on the other side of the break you're listening to pastor preuss tell us about first peter chapter four we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, April 20th. We're studying 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 with Pastor Stephen Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we we're looking at Verse 3 here in First Peter chapter 4, Peter says that the time for doing what the Gentiles want to do, that time is past. We've had enough of that. Why would we want to go back to that kind of living, to that kind of those passions that would convince us, uh, you know, thinking through some of the things he said earlier, it's been a while since we picked up that theme of exiles, but those things that would convince us that we belong to this world, why do you want that anymore? You belong to the heavenly kingdom that is yours in the resurrection of the dead. Quit living that way, Peter says, and he, he lives. Some of those things here. So, the time is past that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. He says, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Take us into these things that Peter lists here.
1: Yeah. So, the sensuality is is what we would call licentiousness. It's excess. It's immoderation and anything. They're they're just. They're going for what they want, and that relates to the passions, the the lusts, what we would call concupiscence. Uh, it's this fleshly desire for carnal things, and just letting that that run its course, and not having any check on it. You know, he's not saying here. You know, we we mentioned that before that we we will not have a um, you know sin in our lives anymore, but that that you would just kind of let this go forth and have no curb toward it and no accusation toward it and, and and think that this is the way that God is guiding your life. I mean that's clearly not the case. And so uh, he mentions those uh, the passions, sensuality and the passions to, to to show the where it comes from. these, these lusts uh, lead to excess, um, drunkenness of course is is one that uh, it's an excess of wine it's an overflowing with with wine and so you' you're not uh, practicing self-control which which by the way is a, a fruit of the spirit right self-control and and there is no self-control here there is no control at all it's just letting again letting the passions run the way they want to orgies and drinking parties are the same thing it's uh this you know it kind of relates back to the the way that the greeks would would have these you know to their gods and sing ecstatically and, and dance and, and get drunk and have revelry. and that's just the way that they would would live because they they didn't have any understanding of, of who God was in Christ and, and what He had done for them and, and the goal of eternal life and that they, as you had said, uh, are now a part of the heavenly kingdom. And so uh, they why would you want to participate in those kinds of things? And finally, it's just, you know, it's lawless idolatry. You dismiss God's law. Well, you're going to make your own law then. And, you know, that's why they'll say, you know, you scratch an antinomian and you'll find a, a legalist. Uh, it's because you dismiss God's law and you'll make your own mm. and you'll become the God. And and he says, you don't want that. You know who God is. You know what he's done for you. You know Christ. And you as you know him, so don't go back to these things. Um, you know, he, he puts it in other ways in other places, you know, a dog returning to its vomit kind of a thing. Um, and it's it is uh, it's just a reminder to us that, you know, St. Paul does the same thing. Uh, why would you want to return to those things of which you are now ashamed? Right. And it's it, it, we have to reflect then upon almost like a comparison. You put them kind of next to each other and say, which one which one do you want here? You know Christ. Which one do you really want? Do you want to live with this uh, and, and uh, sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry? Or do you want to not live according to idolatry, which is really just, you know, breaking the first commandment and they all fall after that? Um, or do you want to live with Christ, the one who died for you?
0: Yeah one of the the devil's greatest tricks is to convince us that these kinds of things this all these passions that, that he mentions here and elsewhere that that is true freedom you know what you talk about an antinomian that we're just going to throw off the law have no law that's that's true freedom when in fact you do, you end up making a law for yourself, one that's man-made and one that's just ends up being no good, that the devil would love for us to believe that, that having a law of our own or just so, so-called so no law, I'm putting scare quotes around that, that, that that's freedom. When in fact, true freedom is, is what we have in Christ to have this new man that, that seeks to, to follow Christ in his suffering and, and, that we would mortify those passions that really that's really what death looks like and it i mean you know talk about being born again to use that image that peter's brought up that's that's true freedom is to recognize the death of of these what these things really give and that life is found in christ
1: absolutely yeah
0: so Peter continues then, verse 4, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Here we come back to that thought of of suffering in the world because of those who do not believe. What's Peter saying here in verse 4? He's saying that when you uh, when you
1: don't engage in the things that the world engages in, you are you're you're strange to them mm-hmm. you you're weird to the world when your life is not overwhelmed by the same excessive behavior of incorrigible sinners and they this is something i think that maybe today we need to be careful i i'm i'm all for teaching that we should still be engaged uh, we, we're not the amish you know trying to 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 get out of, of our culture, but we also need to not become conformed to the world. And there are ways in which we do become conformed to the world so that we will fit in with the world. And we need to be careful not to do that. We should be weird in a way. I'll tell, I'll tell people that when they visit our church and, and I'm chanting and I'm wearing vestments and uh, we're kneeling down on a, on, you know, uh, on a kneeler and things like that. And this is strange to people. This is just strange, and and so too our behavior is 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 different. Why would you not participate in these kinds of things instead? Why are you doing these these things? And so uh, they they don't like what we're doing, and we need to understand that about the world and the worldly, uh, that they don't like that which is a holy that which is distinct from the world's uh, ordinary way of being excessive in their behavior and incorrigible sinners. And so how will they speak? They'll speak in a disrespectful way that demeans, denigrates, and, and maligns you. They, they won't like it. They're not just going to stand there when you actually uh, confess Christ or, or act like a Christian. They'll They'll put you down and in such a way that we should realize what they're actually doing. The Greek word for malign is where we get the word uh, blasphemy from. And uh, it reminds us that what they're actually doing is they're reviling God and his way of life when they revile us as Christians. Jesus, I remember, my name is Stephen, and so I always think of the the story of, of Stephen. And then I think of when Paul's Paul's told that he is persecuting Jesus. Mm. And uh, I think he says, why are you persecuting me? And he's persecuting Jesus because he's persecuting, you know, Stephen and many of the others uh, who Paul went after. Uh, and that's a, the reality that we need to, to see is that Jesus was reviled. Jesus was persecuted uh, and, They're going to think we're strange just like they thought Jesus was strange when we are believing the things that Jesus taught and living the way that Jesus has given us to live. Um, And it is interesting, too, as you go on here in, in the chapter that just as they think we christians are strange for not participating in their what he calls a flood of debauchery what a what a turn of phrase a flood of debauchery it's just it's just destroying them right and they want to destroy you with it too um just like the flood as you mentioned in, in chapter three uh, destroyed all the evil um but just as that's uh, they think we're strange in in verse 12, which we're not going through today, but he says, we ought not to see our fiery trials as strange, uses the same word there, uh, as we consider how Jesus also suffered blasphemy from others. I think of, you know, not too long ago in our lectionary we had where Jesus was called a, a Samaritan and said, mm-hmm. said he had a demon, right? And of course, we just went through Holy Week not long ago, and, and we know that he was mocked and, and jeered and so forth, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, and all of that. Uh, for us. And so there's going to be, there's something we, they're surprised when we don't do what they're doing and they put us down. And uh, it's, it's what we should expect.
0: Yeah. This, this verse I think is, is very applicable to our day. And as you said, we, we need to be careful so that we don't, Again, fall into one ditch and sort of you know withdraw from the world in some sort of monasticism. We we certainly can't do that. That's not to, that is not to what Christ has called us. But we should be weird. You know, I mean, uh, Smithville is a, a small town about about an hour outside of Austin, and Austin has this slogan, at least by many, keep Austin weird. So maybe maybe we can redeem that and and say keep the church weird, <laughs> in, yeah. in in all the right ways though. You know, I mean, and oh, I I think this is going to become more and more important for us as we move forward in this in this day and time because i mean you know and, and you'll you'll hear folks who who lament you know it used to be that that my kids could participate in sports and go to church and and those days just seem to be gone and and man that's that's a hard one for christian parents to bear is to be the the weird parent who says my kid has to be in church on Sunday and will not participate. You know, I mean, and that and, and that sounds maybe small and silly, but but if we're not willing to to be Christians there, then then what happens when it gets bigger than that? I, I really think a verse like this, we need to we need to take to heart that we need to be weird as Christians.
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, the word holy literally means to be set apart, and uh, we're different than they are. And uh, we're not to conform ourselves to the world and, and not because we think we're better than everybody, but because, like he had said, we, the, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Yeah. Um, when you, again, you put them next to each other. My, my wife, my wife is a, a good theologian in her own right. And she'll, she'll say to me, you know, you're not going to regret that you missed uh, your your volleyball game or soccer game on your deathbed, but but you you might regret if you're if you miss the divine service. And uh, I think that that's a good comparison to make and to put it in that eschatological, that end times kind of end of life kind of context. That we start asking ourselves, what are we sacrificing? What are what are we doing like Esau did? What what's our Bowl of soup, in comparison to the promise of Jesus Christ. What have we? And when you really look at it, your game's not not nearly as important as as the birthright that you've been given as as a son or daughter of God through holy baptism to be then gathered uh, as the holy ones around the holy things. Uh, in the divine service.
0: Mm. Yeah your your wife puts it eschatologically and so does Peter. So she's she's in great company here because Peter Exactly. <laughs> Peter goes to the end as well, which I, I think this is and I I hadn't noticed this until just getting ready for today that you know in that very creedal section that we just came out of at the end of chapter 3 Peter talks about the sufferings of Christ, the death of Christ, his resurrection, his descent into hell, his ascension, but he hasn't really talked a ton at this point about Christ's return, but he brings it up here. He goes to the judgment here. And so in verse five, he speaks of, of they, that is those in the world who are maligning you as Christians, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What's Peter saying here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, here's the end of the second article. It's great. Uh, he's really he, just to stop and talk about that just for a second. I mean, we get our creeds from the scriptures, right? We, we learn what it is we should confess and believe uh, according to what is taught in scriptures. And, and Peter just does such a phenomenal job of this in his, his first letter. So what, what's going on here? I mean, Jesus says that every idle word a man speaks, he will have to give account of it in the day of judgment. Ecclesiastes says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And and St. Paul mentions that a few times, too. Same kind of thing. Uh, And he's saying that he's going to come back and judge the living and the dead, and he's ready. I think that's the most striking thing I find in this is that it says that Jesus is ready Mm. to judge the living and the dead. You know, when when you're in track, ready, set, go. I mean, he's ready. He's he's set too. We're just waiting for go. Uh, it sounds it sounds imminent, um, and you know it is imminent. And when we when we think about that, we have to kind of ask ourselves. I know it's applying to those who are not, you know, those who are, are uh, maligning them in verse four. But we have to ask ourselves too: Are are we ready? And you know the term that's used there is one that is related in the verb form of, of preparing or making ready, you know, John, the Baptist, uh, he made ready or prepared the way of the Lord through repentance and baptism, pointing to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we're also told that the new Jerusalem is made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. We are being made ready right now as we uh, cling to Christ through repentance and faith clinging to our baptism clinging to the lamb of god who took away the sins of the world and is is risen from the dead he he has has a victory over that for us and gives that to us and adorns us with 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 all that he has won for us and and that's how you make yourself ready today um, because you without that you will be judged as these gentiles who live in a flood of debauchery? Who malign others? And they will be judged for everything, every idle word, and that is a terrifying thing. Every secret thing, whether it be good or it be evil, and uh, with Christ covering our sins, we know we will not be. Uh, but what a terrifying thing that should be, uh, as the clouds of judgment gather. Right. Mm. So
0: the uh, the theme of being ready, of course, is one of Jesus' big themes in his end times discourse in was in Matthew 24 and 25. It was in Mark 13. That's the gospel. We just came out of this idea of, of being ready, stay awake, be prepared. All, all of those are are very much. And, and to hear that, that Jesus is ready to judge. I think, you know, he's, uh, he stands at the door. He's, he's right there. I think in, in this context, speaking to, Christians who are suffering at the hands of these unbelievers, I think this ends up doing similar to what like what Paul does when he quotes about, you know, don't take vengeance because vengeance belongs to the Lord, that as you are experiencing this maligning because the world sees you as weird and doesn't know what to do with you other than to make fun of you and mock you and persecute you, the, the thought that Jesus is ready with judgment allows us and helps us to suffer willingly, to go back to what we were saying in the first couple of verses, that that we would suffer willingly and gladly because we know that Jesus is the judge and he will take care of it. He's ready to do so when the, t- when the time is right, when the, the time comes that the Father is appointed, he's ready. So suffer willingly, suffer gladly because Jesus is the judge. You don't have to take care of that. He's going to take care of that for you.
1: No, that's, a, that's exactly right. I mean, it reminds you of the end of, of uh, the Old Testament in Malachi 4, too, Yeah, that, that we don't need to worry because we who fear God, I mean, the son of righteousness is coming. He's he's going to rise with healing in his wings. We're the ones who are going to go out leaping like calves from the stall, but what are they going to be? They're going to, we're going to tread down the wicked and there'll be ashes under the soles of our feet, you know, and deeply wailing, deeply wailing, right? I mean, that's that's what's going to end up happening. Um, and so we, we can take some comfort in this, without being those who are. I mean, we still want people to repent, but we also know that the Lord will come, and finally His patience will run out. And those who are caught in their sin and refuse to repent until death, uh, they should have known that the day of salvation is now, and you you might not have tomorrow. And for us, that's a that is a comfort as well as a uh, a threat to those who are not living uh, in Christ. Uh, but for us, it is a comfort. I mean, when we hear that Jesus is coming soon, it's like the end of Revelation. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I want you to come. Um, but yeah, there is that sense of vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will repay. Mm-hmm. Says the Lord.
0: And it does. I mean, you know, not that certainly we we're not desiring that that is what their ultimate end is. We. we Thinking back to what Peter, if you take 3, 18 through 22 as kind of a, a centerpiece, right on the other side, before he gets to that, he, he has that part about, you know, setting Christ apart as the Holy One in your heart so that you're ready to speak a word to anyone who asks. And and that is part of what's happening when you when you suffer as a weird Christian. There will come a time when many who are mocking will suddenly say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? This is really weird. Why are you doing it? (laughs) And you have the chance to speak that word that, that is given so that they too may hear and believe and be saved from this judgment that is ready at the end. Now have got about eight minutes here. I want to make sure we get to verse six. Cause frankly, it's kind of weird. <laughs> we've, we've had some tough texts in first Peter, and this is one of them. First Peter four, verse six says this again, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit, the way God does. This says that the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. What does this mean? Pastor Price?
1: you know, Luther says this, quote, but this is another strange text. <laughs> so I don't, you know, we don't, we're in good company when we don't exactly know what he's trying to say. Now we, we've got a couple options we're going to talk about, but this is, this is a confusing text. And maybe it's a good time to just kind of talk about that aspect of scripture sometimes that there are times when we don't know the language well enough. And so we can't quite get what is being said there are times we don't know the culture, the history well enough. And so, we will fumble over what the text is actually saying. And then there are times when because of our sinful, fallen reason, our inability to know the great things of God, uh, we we just need to repent and say, Lord, have mercy, please teach me what what this could possibly mean. And, and that's kind of where we are here with this text. Uh, you got Luther. Luther thinks that It has to do with being dead in sin by nature uh, and then made alive by the gospel of Christ. So kind of an Ephesians 2 kind of a thing. We have both the sinful flesh and the new spirit. And so Luther says this. He says, therefore, the apostle says that they are condemned according to their outward being, but that they are saved and live according to the inner man that is according to the spirit. And so you kind of have this old man, new man kind of a thing and and, and dealing with it in that way. Uh, That's one option. That, that sounds like something that's certainly plausible it's something that I, I think that many of us would look at that and say yeah you know being dead in sin uh, we're judged in the flesh the way people are but we also live in the spirit the way God does that makes that makes sense. Uh, there's another option though which I kind of find a little bit uh, more more textual actually uh, so Kretzmann uh, one of the commentators in the Lutheran Church uh, from the 20th century said, said these words. He said, to certain people that are now dead, so talking about people who are dead, uh, you know, in physical death, the gospel was preached during their life. They became partakers of its wonderful blessings in order that they, although subject to the general curse of death according to their mortal body, yet might live in the spirit so far as their soul was concerned, and that after the manner of God, that is, in a spiritual, divine, glorified existence, until the day when God would reunite their bodies with their souls. Thus, the purpose of the preaching of the gospel was realized in the case of those that died in the Lord. And so, saying that, you know, the reason the the gospel was preached to those who are dead is that, that even though they were judged and died, in the sense that we all have to die, the wages of sin is death, yet they live. And those souls that are in heaven with God right now are going to be reunited to those bodies and they're going to live forever. So, we get kind of a nice... Ending with the resurrection here, you know, and during the Easter season, maybe that's why I'm really clinging to this, but I kind of like it.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, you know, we were talking a little bit before we we started recording. At the end of verse 5, Peter says that Jesus is the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead. There, the dead refers to those who are physically dead. It seems unusual, though certainly not impossible, that he would then take dead in verse 6 to mean spiritually dead rather than physically dead. Again, it's not impossible that he could do that. Peter can do that. But it it seems more likely that, again, it means physically dead. And the way that you explained it, I think it makes sense that that this is why the gospel was preached in the past to people who, who aren't dead. For this reason, so that that judgment that Christ is ready to bring, that those who heard the gospel in this life but are now dead, they were saved by that gospel. They they've gone through judgment and into life, which is the purpose of the gospel in the yes. first place. And I, I think I think that fits the context. Again, it's like you said. Sometimes our knowledge of the the language or the history or the context or even just our own sinful selves gets in the way. But I mean, I, I think that fits. And so if you know, if, if Luther says it's a strange text, we can confess the same. But I, I think that fits. We got about three and a half minutes here, Pastor Preuss. Any further comments on that verse? And, and help us to wrap this text up. Give us the goods.
1: Well, I think it's, uh, the reason I like that ending, too, is because of what we've been talking about, the suffering. Uh, whenever you think about the passion of Jesus, his love for us and his suffering for us, You don't forget about the resurrection. That's something that during Lent, I think a lot of people almost think like we're playing a trick on the church for a little while. Let's pretend Jesus didn't rise from the dead. No, that's not what we're doing. We're just focusing upon the sufferings of Christ and thinking upon our sins and thinking about the great love that God has for us in suffering. And I think that's a good thing for the church to do. And then when we enter into the season of Easter, we start with this wonderful joy and yet we know that our lives are still lives of suffering. And so we get both here. We get the, the, the lesson on how to suffer as Christians. Don't suffer alone. You never have to as a Christian. Jesus has compassion on you. He suffers with you. He teaches you how to suffer. And he, he gives you his mind so that you, together with the rest of the Christian church, were suffering uh, as those who are putting to death our old Adam and, and, and subduing our fleshly desires. And we're also bearing the crosses that Jesus or that God gives upon us, just as God gave the cross to Jesus for our salvation. Now we have these crosses, but we're headed to the resurrection. The gospels preach to you. And as the gospel is preached to you, as you know Christ, as you know him as the one, I just love that in in chapter 3, verse 18, uh, that for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He's doing that. He's bringing us to God right now through faith in the gospel as we go forth toward his word and sacraments and cling to them by faith every week and every day of our lives. And he is bringing us to God through the resurrection as well. And we will see him face to face. And, and so it's a nice way to kind of end on the resurrection here uh, as we look at this text.
0: Pastor Stephen Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us today with first Peter chapter four, verses one to six. Pastor Price, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper I KFUO is hosting Shareathon later this week, April 22nd through 24th. Join us for Shareathon, partner with us to support the outreach of Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Listen in April 22nd through 24th to Shareathon here on KFUO. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.